English Art International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This Fresh Talk episode features New York-based artist Sarah Oppenheimer in a conversation about her two latest architectural interventions. Sarah is visiting critic in painting and printmaking in the Yale University School of Art. She exhibits widely in the U.S. and Europe. The Baltimore Museum of Art is the first major institution to commission and acquire Sarah's site-specific work. The BMA's contemporary art curator, Kristen Heilman, creates unique relationships between Sarah's new projects and other work from the collection. Installed in the central stairway, sound art by Turner Prize winner Susan Phillips has a mystical effect on Sarah Oppenheimer's adjacent interventions. An ambient recording of The Shallow Sea by Susan Phillips follows the dialogue you're about to hear. I'm Kathy Bird, and today I'm in Baltimore with Sarah Oppenheimer. The Baltimore Museum of Art commissioned Sarah to do two new pieces for the reopening of their contemporary wing, and she just gave me a tour of the two pieces and let me have the physical experience of them, which is just stellar. It's a brilliant, brilliant work, Sarah. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. I'm curious what kind of conversation took place that led to the positioning of these interventions. So when I was approached by the museum, I was asked to come take a look at the, at the space of the museum. And in particular, I was asked to take a look at this triangular wedge space that bridges an older wing of the museum, and not only older in the construction date, but older in the collection that it houses, and the newer contemporary wing of the museum. And I was asked to think about creating a work in that kind of wedge-like atrium that bordered the two zones of the museum. One thing that was extremely interesting to me is that the atrium space in some ways invited a massive sort of space-filling sculptural intervention. And it was precisely that that I wanted to avoid. And I was very interested in thinking about how one could deal with the boundary without having to deal with the seeming presence of mass. And so I started to look at the porousness of the boundary on the edges of this wedge-like space. And the wedge-like space is notable because on one side you have this very thick uh, limestone wall, and on the other side you have a concrete sort of a, a concrete wall that has a set of pre-existing openings in it. And given the scope of the project, it became quickly apparent I couldn't radically change either the limestone facade which or wall, which was a previous facade of the building, or the concrete uh, cylindrical structure, which was or and remains sort of the, the boundary space of the atrium zone. So I started to look for spaces within that that were porous, and specifically spaces within those edges that were porous and would border in exciting ways on other spaces in, let's say, not simply a one-to-one -one 
condition where you have one space touching on another space, but where you might have one space touching on two other spaces or one space touching on three other spaces. And that was really how those locations were developed. I know you talked to Tyler Green last week about this, how you viewed each project as investigating a problem or solving a problem with space. I think that one of the things I was referring to in that conversation was the idea that as a sort of template for the work, I think of zones of space as having a degree of adjacency. And I think of a way of catalyzing the potential between those zones as summarized in the idea of a hole, but a hole need not be sort of an enclosed opening. So when I refer to a set of problems, what I'm referring to is a kind of stacking of spaces that is so common and familiar in architectural space and how one catalyzes or shifts the, the, the passage or flow between those spaces, that becomes the problem in any given condition. Mm -hmm. To say a little bit more about that actually, I've been very interested over the last several years in Archvogger's uh, locations piece, particularly because that piece calls attention to the location and also the sort of presence of an artwork by its irregularity and its um, remarking of space. I think in some ways, in a very different way, these projects are speaking to that condition as well. You've said that your work relates to cognitive science, and I know myself, as I experienced it just now, that I definitely had a sense of the, a bodily impression and a psychological impression of the work. Uh, talk to me more about that relationship with your interventions. Well, I find cognitive science to be a very rich field in terms of instructing and investigating questions regarding bodily reception and, and experience in a space. I also think that it removes actually any sort of, I'm not sure if I would say spiritual or phenomenological questions, but it, it very much concretizes them in an empirical investigation. And I, I find that to be a much clearer way to think about and to anticipate how people will um, experience something than to leave it to the kind of fuzzy logic of a kind of perceptual presence. Different writings on the perception of the ground plane from one space to another, questions regarding an occluding edge and how a body will move around an edge and find sort of a changing limit from one space to another space. And I think a whole host of articles and essays have been formed over the years, my understanding of how one could think about the possibility of opening adjacent spaces into each other. And I think what you were talking about with Tyler that I remember specifically was the idea of doorways having something to do with forgetting. Well, it's very interesting to think of architecture as a set of nested memory containers so that each space has a different uh, sense of experiential time. And I think that museums, particularly the way 
museums are curated, rooms function in that sense as well. So each room becomes a marker of a certain historical period or a certain uh, conceptual moment. And I very much like the idea of playing or troubling that, that boundary. Since you studied semiotics at Brown at one point and then studied art after, I wonder what relationship your studies of semiotics have to do with the work that you produce. I think that in, in thinking about semiotics, I was introduced to a whole set of questions regarding the relationship of language to the world and the relationship of language to itself. And the relationship of, it, of language to itself seems both fascinating and very enclosed. And the late relationship of language to the world seems almost forgotten in some sense or too readily summed up. And I think that in thinking about those questions, I was really drawn to, for example, something like cognitive science, which poses a very different, and I would say in some ways, potentially richer foundation for thinking about how language and representation more generally touches on um, the material and mnemonic qualities of the world as if those things are totally separable. This is the big argument, right? So in titling, I think the titling and also the typology more generally, which isn't solely the titles, raises this question for me of how I represent the problems and variables that are implicit in each project. And the titles, each number in every title stands for a variable that I have isolated as significant, such as can you see from space A to space B, or how many spaces contact one another in any given instance. In some ways, the titles both call attention to the most important aspects of the work, but they also erase everything about the work that isn't systemic. And I think that's kind of a fascinating contradiction. The second intervention is more of an incision. I'm curious what effect that had for you of cutting through space that way. Well, one of the things I've been interested in in the past two years is how spaces are demarcated not only by the quality of the surfaces that surround them or the quality of the volume or air temperature or sound, but also very specifically by light. And one of the most striking things to me uh, that bordered that the contemporary wing that was marked by this limestone wall was that on one side you had this flavin and on the other side you had this very subdued warm lighting that illuminated the cone collection. And I was interested in thinking about not necessarily opening a sight line, but opening a diffuse lighting condition that allowed for um, a glow, a, a light-based glow between these two zones of space. There are two aspects of that that I'm very excited about. First of all, the works in the gallery that are immediately surrounding the piece in the cone wing um, were selected in conversation with the work in a number of ways that I found very surprising. But additionally, in the gallery just adjacent to the gallery with the piece, where you actually have a longer sight line towards the work and you see this long magenta glow in the wall, you have this extraordinary Matisse, which has a very similar 
color, although in that case it's a very, it's a painted color as opposed to a light generated color. And that set of relationships, of color relationships, is really exciting to me. I notice, and we can hear it right now, there's a sound art piece that comes and goes through that incision. Yes, that's, that's very, very exciting. That was definitely a very unusually exciting decision by Kristen, which was to use the opening not only for light and sight to pass through, but also to have sound filter through the galleries up into the upstairs of the contemporary wing. I just think it's fascinating. I love it. It's a haunting moment with the space that I experienced uh, with that glow on the Flavin side in particular. It, and that voice, it seemed almost like you were in a chapel of some kind to me. Yeah, the, her work is very interesting. Susan Phillips' work. Susan Phillips, I love her work. Yeah. I heard it in the castle on the train track. You've been listening to Fresh Talk with Sarah Oppenheimer. Read more about Sarah and hear other podcasts in this series on freshartinternational.com.